Welcome to Hands at the Table. I'm your co-host, Jeff Bramhall. Alongside fellow massage therapist, Bori Saranyi, this podcast shows massage therapists how powerful our profession can be. We believe that as a craft and as a profession, massage therapy is only limited by a therapist's imagination and willingness to put in the work. By sharing what we're learning, what we're working on, and what's captured our interest, we hope to broaden your perspective, inspire you to set your standard high, and invest in your craft. Thank you for joining us. Welcome back to Hands at the Table with Bori and Jeff. Uh, today we are talking about a uh, an event that that the Open Center put on. It's a group out of New York called the Solving Chronic Pain Summit. Uh, Bori attended it, and uh, she and I have talked a bunch about some of the different talks that that were given. Um, it was a really it's a really phenomenal event, and where there where the group of really intelligent people were digging into some really complicated, complicated subjects around, around how pain and how about pain, how pain exists and all that. And, uh, uh, today we're going to talk about some of our, some of our key takeaways from, uh, a, a weekend of drinking from the fire hose. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so Bori, uh, you had a, you had a great list of great list of things that, that really jumped out at you, but I, I wanted to know where, where, where do you want to start? Um, Yes, it was definitely a fire hose experience. And especially because it was all scientists and researchers and surgeons and pain scientists. So it was really interesting. Um, where would I want to start? So just like from the basics from, so this was a chronic, solving chronic pain summit. So they were nailing down on chronic pain versus acute pain. So I think we can start from there and like discuss like, chronic pain is different than acute pain and how kind of like one leads to the other versus like having two definitely separate experiences of it. Um, so that was really interesting at the beginning. Like, how do you define acute pain? Like acute, subacute and chronic pain. Like we learned something in the school. Like, what did you learn? I mean, we learned, uh, like we, we, and I feel like this is probably the least scientific, like we learned it all, all time-based, right? right? Like acute pain is something that happens immediately after and up to, you know, up to 24 hours. Subacute right. is like a lingering, a, a lingering, a, a lingering version of that. And then chronic is, you know, chronic is, I don't even think after we had that, it. I, Yeah, exactly. Right? Without like, and it was kind of like, well, pain, like it's acute. And then eventually it stops being acute and it's this other kind. Like it was, there was, mm -hmm. I, I think that, that was like, it was very loose, I think is the easiest yeah. way I could put it. Yeah. And I think like, so I think that's a good starting point, but because this is all I knew about pain too. Like this, this is how I came into it. It's like, oh, this is acute. This is subacute. This is chronic time-wise, like perfect. So they made a couple of distinction between them. So what they were saying is that acute pain can, like it comes from an injury or it comes from like some kind of trauma. And what they were describing chronic pain as once the physiological healing happens, you have lingering pain. That's what they call like chronic pain when you're like the tissues are itself, like the structure is not injured anymore all the healing happened, but you still have pain symptoms. That was a very good distinction. 
And I think like that kind of like, you know, everybody's going to be different on that, uh, on that time scale, but that's kind of like a good starting point. And then the other layer that they layered on top or put on top of this is that what also goes into chronic pain versus acute pain. So Chris Germer, uh, who is a self-compassion scientist, self-compassion researcher, and uh, he works with Kristin Neff, like who has the selfcompassion.org website, and it's a beautiful website. I highly recommend to anybody. But what he pointed out is that there's four arrows of chronic pain. Number one is the pain or injury itself. Number two is the physical reaction to that pain. Number three is the mental reaction to that pain, meaning catastrophizing it and really thinking more into it. And number four is the social reaction, the shame, the stigma around pain. And that was for me, that was eye-opening. I was like, wow, like we do have this shame or um, really like turning away from chronic pain and chronic pain patients. Whereas like if you have acute pain that you stub your toes, like you sprain your ankle and it's totally fine. Versus if you have chronic pain, there is like another layer, a social layer to this pain that does not help, <laughs> as the research shows, shame does not help pain. Um, so I think like I found that really interesting, like how there's like different layers to this pain, like the injury itself, physical reaction to it, mental reaction to it, and the social reaction. Yeah, so that was that was really good. I think that was a really good description of like what how complex like chronic pain itself can be. The other interesting part that I really, really liked because I'm a nerd is that there is a lab. Um, it belongs to Vanya uh, Upkarian. It's the Upkarian lab. And but there's other people who also researched this. Uh, I think it was the other researcher was uh, Tor Wagner. And they actually found a physiological change in the brain in chronic pain patients. So what they were saying, and the Apcarian lab actually went as far as they can um, predict from um, functional MRIs and then physiological brain um, patterns from like people who get an injury, who's gonna develop chronic pain and who's gonna recover which is mind blowing because that means that there is like kind of like a predictor state. And it doesn't mean that you're necessarily gonna have chronic pain or the necessarily gonna follow that path down, but you have a predisposition to it. And that's where like the treatment and the emotional um, and the mental training comes into play to like, oh, you need to, you have to deal with this with these patients because they just have a tendency to fall into this chronic pain pattern, which is mind blowing. And then the fact that they can show it in the brain, it's even better. Yeah. That was one of my, that was one of my, like, that, that was like a, I, I think I genuinely, I think that I was eating when that happened and I like dropped my fork when they were talking <laughs> yes. through that one, because that like, you know, I think we've all heard the idea that, or we've all heard the, the study of like, um, you know, where they were like, a wide swath of like men between like 30 and 30 and 45 had their lower backs had like MRIs on their lower backs and more than like asymptomatic, right? Like, no one, none of these people had any mm -hmm. back problems. 
but and like more than half of them showed up with like degenerated discs, all this stuff, and they didn't have, but they didn't have back pain. So it's mm -hmm. like, okay, so we like, you know, there needs to be some sort of a precipitating event or there needs to be like what, like what, like what, uh, like what Wagner talked about of like, there has to be something there, there has to be some other reason. And I think right. he also, he also made the point in that, which really landed for me is like, you know, th that part of our, uh, he made the conjecture, like he, he made the, ex or he, he kind of like opened the door to the extension that that was something, um, that this was, that this could be related to epigenetics, like mm. that proclivity could be, there could be an epigenetic proclivity, which, which then turns into, okay, so like white people in America are going to have, like, they fundamentally are going to have a different pro they have a different proclivity to pain. They have a different sense, right. a different sensitivity to pain than black people. Like, mm -hmm. because just be, just because like there is a, there is a generational tendency that on the average, like, they are going to have less kind of built-in, built-in stresses, like built-in stresses, right. like uh, their, their stress response is going to be less, um, less excitable, I guess, mm -hmm. or their pain response is going to be less excitable. And, and he made like, when he made the point about how we need to think about how we can, how this can be a tool to thinking about, like thinking about, um, like pain equity and pain and equity i was like mm. that was when I, I like that was like right I, I, that was the the moment i was like oh my god this guy is like really he's talking in like he's talking in a very different language here like this is very like that was very 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 exciting for me yeah that was that was a fantastic and that's exactly what i thought too after that i was like when he made a comment about like epigenetics, like that's when you go into the body keeps the score story. Mm -hmm. And that's when you go into those research when they say like, yeah, like Holocaust survivors, kids have a different reaction to certain stressors. Like yeah. it's just, it, it is there, like it's in the system. And then like, if you look at America, like all the minorities, like that is an issue. And on top of that, so they already have a predisposition or might have a predisposition they have way more stress, like threat in their life in general. Then they go into the healthcare system and they're not believed, they're not treated equally, they're treated differently. They're, we I think we talked about this, how it's like, there is like study studies out there, how much uh, pain killers or like painkillers or muscle relaxant they prescribe to white um, patients versus Afro-American or black people it's, it's, there's like, there's, there's a huge gap between how much doctors believe different minorities and how they treat them. So that's, then again, like you're going into like another rabbit hole that it's an infinite rabbit hole, but it was definitely interesting to like, kind of like connecting those dots. I think it would be very interesting. And one of my happiest ideas or happiest thoughts about this whole conference is that this conference was put on by David Hanscom, who is a spinal surgeon, and Les Aria, who is a pain psychologist at Kaiser Permanente. So coming in from the doctor's side and then actually having a spinal surgeon saying the things that, yes, like disc pathologies have zero correlation to pain. And there's like no papers that show straight correlation between any kind of structural pathologies and pain is kind of mind blowing. And him saying that like spinal surgeries 
help, their positive effective rate is 22% of spinal surgeons. Like this is a very low percentage. This is very, very low. How yeah. many, how many, if, if I would be working with that effective rate, I don't think I would have my job right now. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't think I would be able to be successful at that rate. No. Yeah. Right. And, and it's, it's, it, it, the, the whole thing gave me so much hope because, because yeah. it's like, you know, these are all people that are operating inside the system. Right. Like right. these are all people that are like, that are saying like the health, our health, that the, like there is a fundamental agreement that among all of those presenters that our healthcare system is that there is a problem with our healthcare system. Yeah. And like, and these people are there trying, like they're trying to do something about it. And, and I'm yeah. so glad that you, I'm so glad that you mentioned less because so much, because his whole presence in the conference was <sighs> to do mindfulness exercises yes. and to like, and, and to kind of, bring ourselves back to ourselves. It was, I just thought that was so, that was so freaking cool. I know. Right. It's like, that should be in like every, like, you know, all of these long conferences and everything that should be a thing to like, have like a mindfulness break and really just arrive back to yourself, like between two lectures and regardless of what you're talking about. So I think that was beautiful. And he has a really good presence and um, what he does is pretty amazing. So I really loved it. Um, and then once we we're at it, like it was really good. Um, there was a lot of talk about saf safety versus threat. Mm -hmm. So Porges was uh, presenting Deb Dana, who has a, I think she wrote a pocket guide or um, kind of like technical, um, useful practices for the polyvagal theory book. Yeah, polyvagal so exercises she, for this polyvagal exercises for the for practitioners health, for health or something. and safety. Yeah, for like yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's I, I, it's a book. It's actually a book that I keep in my office, and it's to read. It's, yes. it's it's wonderful <laughs> yeah. because it's so practical. Right, right, right. So there was a lot of talk about safety versus threat, and I think like overall takeaway, and it was really nice because they talked about the safety versus uh, threat from the ner nervous system perspective from the body perspective. And then there were presentations that where they go down into the actual, the molecular biology level, when we were talking about cytokines and we were talking about how cytokines can really just accelerate and like enhance and um, kind of like um, just bring it, bring this inflammation process out and how that affects the whole body, the whole, pain experience, the whole body experience and how we can't, or like we have to shift into safety before we want to do anything, before we want to do anything with pain, we have to be in a safety position. Mm. And I think that was really important and really, really nice. And um, for us massage therapists, I think that's like a very good takeaway point. Like no matter what you do, that person needs to be in that safe space with you um, for that one hour, two hour, whatever you do. Yeah. Yeah. That, um, the, was it, um, uh, Dr. Uh, Howard Schubner, his, mm. his talk was, was beautiful. That, yeah. And, and one of the things that he said is that I just love is, so he, he actually went through a case study, um, where, with a, um, uh, with a client, um, with a client and basically asking the question, like, is this person's pain, like, 
is this is this person a is this like a biological pain or is it a psychological pain and and you know reading through the list of symptoms it would make it was it would be so easy to look at it as like oh there's like physiological things going on and his whole case, his 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 fundamental belief and his like you know is that like if there isn't like if there's not a broken bone like and not an actively broken bone mm-hmm. then it is then pain is then then the pain that you're feeling is a decision that your brain is making and which and and, and i think there's like there's definitely a tendency i think because i've heard that like i think i don't think that's new for a lot of a lot of people i think a lot of i think i'm gonna just throw them under the bus again but a lot of pts a lot of pts get that right like like that comes out of that that phrase comes out of pt school a lot like you know pain is pain is in your brain and like and it's like pain's a decision all this but it's and i think it can be very easily heard as dismissive of the pain and what I thought was really elegant about the way that they, the way that they confronted this, and actually with some other folks that I've I've spoken to recently, the elegance comes when they're saying like, you know, the pain is like your your brain has, like the is saying at the same time like, you the pain that you're feeling is very real, mm-hmm. and that pain is not coming. That pain is that pain is coming from your brain, not from not from your body. Right, like it's your brain thinking that something in your body is painful. It's not something being painful, and that like that layer of separation without dismissal, I think, is really important. Uh, I, I think that's that that really, and and I, I think you can only think that way. Um, I'm going to steal a little bit of your thunder, but I, I think you can only say that if you are able to, if you can kind of grasp that one nervous system model that like underscored every single talk of the day, every single talk uh, that I saw of the whole summit. Right, right, right. Yeah. So let's talk about that. Because oh, yeah. I, I, yes. Okay. <laughs> let's go, Jeff. <laughs> go for it. Okay. So this was like, this I, I thought was just the most, the most wonderful, the most wonderful way to look at the, um, the most wonderful way to look at the body in a in a way that isn't reductionist and so it's it essentially says like your brain like your brain is where your brain essentially is where your is where your nerve is where your like where you have one nervous system which is your central nervous system your midbrain your spinal cord your autonomic nervous system and your peripheral nervous system so that that sits at the center i think someone used the term junction box so you have this is mm, the junction right. box, and then you have all of the inputs. So you have all of your senses: smell, vision, sound, touch, taste, interoception, your feeling of uh, feeling your your feeling of your inside, and then also your but then also your mental. So your the your mm-hmm. your mental state is also an input into your one nervous system. So you have your thoughts, your emotion, your life outlook that that then come in, which means that you then have three targets that three things that you can treat you can treat sensory input you can treat the nervous system as we think about it kind of as we think about it in a kind of a more layman's term and then you can and you can address the body's response so you have like and there's and there's all of these different things so you have the sensory interventions like like cognitive behavioral therapy meditation um the notions of forgiveness, like a lot of the, a lot of the 12 step things fall into those sensory interventions. 
And then you have calming the nervous system. So addressing ACT, uh, the ACEs, um, medication, vagal stimulation, uh, sympathetic blocks, massage, like body work fits in, body work fits mm-hmm. in here. That's where, that's where they think of body work, which I think is, yeah. I think is good. And I think is, I think is yeah. like, I think it's good. I think it could, can also fit in a couple of, a couple other parts mm-hmm. of this. And then you can, you can address the outputs. And so outputs can be medication, sleep, play, um, spirituality, like talk therapy, uh, exercise. So you have these, like you have all of these tools that all affect this one nervous system, this junction box to help you, um, to help you ward off threat, maintain homeostasis and regenerate when regeneration is necessary and possible. I just thought it was like, I found it like, I found it like a, this amazing, simple, elegant, unifying theory of like, you know, what we've been like, what we've been talking about for the past 25 yeah. episodes of this podcast. <laughs> yes, exactly. I I found it super beautiful too, because like it is a, it, it, as you said, it's like, it is a, it is a smooth, simple idea, but it's so complex. And like, for me, what that means is that there's no one right way. There's no one solution. Um, you know, doing one, it's not necessarily going to help you all. Like you kind of have multiple options to treat all of the like the inputs or the nervous system or the outputs. I really like that because some people will need medication. Some people will have like actual physiological changes in their brain or body that will need that help. However, you know, us like giving them safety and the sensory awareness and just really just working in a body in a safe way and even just to like be with other people in a safe like co-regulation that they talk about a lot too like that is also healing already it's really interesting because like I'll go back and forcing my head with this debate like what are we really doing as massage therapists like am I affecting muscle tissue am I affecting fascia like fluids like what am I really doing like are the joints really moving under my hands like is there anything really happening there? I go back and forth, but we have all of these like really good techniques and really like magical tools that we can actually make changes in the body. However, like the minute I can create this soup of safety for one person for an hour, I think I already did something. Like Mm -hmm. they're already in a more healing path than anything else and they can already recover better or their thoughts will not race as much. Um, I really like the idea of the the sensory input training and the sense and treating the sensory inputs because the other idea behind manual therapy, I think, is that giving a body a sense of self, a sense sense of uh, itself and proprioception and interception and awareness that it didn't had before. So having and creating a bigger self picture or creating a different self picture, Mm. creating or giving these people a space where they can go to is helpful. Mm -hmm. So having like, if you have chronic pain and if you live in threat, everything kind of like narrows down, like your focus, your attention span, your body image, your your freedom, your feeling of freedom in your body narrows down. 
And I think us as manual therapists, just literally by laying hands on people and showing the sensory input, the showing the sensory system that there is a space more than what you think is already helpful because you can move into a space that you don't know it doesn't exist or if you don't know about it, you cannot go there. And I think that's where like, you know, manual treatment and showing somebody that they have a different range of motion is very important and very helpful because if they don't know they can go there, they will never go there. However, if you can show them that they, they have that space pain-free, you're already did something like that's what that's not just already did something, but that's the whole point, right? Like giving these people space and freedom that they can move into. Um, so I think like that, that's for me, like that one nervous system is like that picture just brings it so much together and so important. That's like, you know, print it out and put it on your wall, like every single room you have. Yeah, I, I feel really the same, like totally the same way about it where, you know, I, and I, I, I have those same, I have those same times where I'm like, well, what are we doing? And, and, and I, it always comes back to, you know, I think like to some degree, yeah, we're doing like uh, whatever we're doing is kind of, it's all, it's safe to say it, but it's like, it's all secondary to like how some, how someone feels. Mm-hmm. and how we can help elicit someone's feeling, right? Like I, I'm, you know, I, I have like, and I think we all have this, we have clients that we can, that like they get really excited and they're like, start to like, you know, they start to, and, like what you were saying, they start to see possibilities in themselves. They start to understand themselves differently. And they're like, oh, like the person like we were talking before we started recording about, uh, my client who has like the, who like, she just does, she has a really hard time finding one of her glutes. And like, and so for her, it's like, we do, like we do before we get on the table, maybe we do some exercises to help her feel them. And then like, you know, that, like that has opened up this pot, opened up this range of possibilities, which is going to make her better at her sport, better, like feel better. And it's also going to like, it's also going to be protective. Right. Cause mm-hmm. it's actually like her finding her glute is going to make her knee less apt to get, to get injured. And, and it's, and it all comes back to that. Like, you know, part of it is her, part of it is her, like her emotion, like her emotions there. Like, but then part of it is like, is that is like developing a keener, de- developing a keener internal, I- internal map. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's a really hard, that can be a really hard, concept to get across to someone mm-hmm. to, that could be a hard concept to get across but it really you know building the richness of that internal picture is actually something that i think is right. like really what we do like that's what i have a lot of fun doing yeah do you like as a child like uh, we we did those pictures where you use a bunch of crayons um and then you cover the whole page with different colors of crayon so it looks like a big giant rainbow there's nothing on it it's like a whole page colored and then you paint over it with like black paint and then you grab like a little um, coin or a pen and you start scratching it off. So it's kind of like a scratch off, but you start drawing like a picture or like something yep. like that. And I think like that's how it feels sometimes that we do is like that color for picture is there. We were born with that. We had it at one point, but like just time and trauma and like pain and injuries like start layering this paint on where you start losing this colorful picture of yourself 
and then what we're doing or like what everybody not we are doing but everybody should do or like everybody not even should but everybody has the possibility and the opportunity to do is start scratching that paint off and start going back to that you know rainbow picture and like see that rainbow picture again like start scratching away the superficial and uh you know that's where like the social stuff comes in and like the norms and everything like go back to that free self that's like right underneath there it's right there we just need to like break the little pains on top of it apart or like everything take it off of the top basically so yeah okay so rabbit hole number two that's okay yeah I almost feel like that that's like that that's the one that I'm like that that's just the perfect perfect place <laughs> perfect place with that um I don't know what I kind of I kind of want to be like that seems like a place to call this like where we is there anything else that really uh that really jumped out to you um we can let's let me mention this one more thing that kind of like yeah. ties back into like what we always debate in ourselves like oh what are we really doing there was one scientist that was really good because it he actually took it back to the muscles itself, like the muscle spindles. And I'm like, I got really excited about that because then again, like that's something that we're taught at school that we're doing something with that. So that was uh, Dr. Richard Gewirtz and he uses, um, oh wait, yeah, he, um, he uses biofeedback, but let me look up this, yes. And what his research is about was about trigger points. And that was really, for me, that was a really interesting topic because I know that trigger point by itself is already um, a topic of question for some therapists or just in general. And it was really interesting. So what they found is that he was going by the Travel Simmons um, trigger point book and what they were measuring is they were measuring EMG activity in the trigger point itself and the surrounding muscle. So they found that there is like a higher EMG activity in the trigger point. So that was something that kind of like not proved, but showed uh, the existence of trigger points or some, some kind of physiological there's something, change. There's something, there's something here. there, like there's something there. And um, what he was saying that was really interesting too is that they related that, okay, one step back. So that trigger point, what he found also is that that trigger point is actually muscle spindles. So it actually goes back to the muscle spindle cells, which if you remember the spindle cells basically measure the tension in the muscle itself. And those are the ones that relay back the information of the tension in the muscle tissue itself to the brain so they're telling is this muscle short or long constrict like concentric eccentric long too much not enough something like that they just measure the tension in the muscle fibers itself so that was really interesting and then the other thing that they measured is that they showed that the higher and this is what again like ties all together the higher sympathetic tone somebody has the higher stress level they have that correlates back that goes back to the muscle spindle so they had needles in the muscle spindle and surrounding tissue and they were stressing these people out saying like you know they had to do like math problems or they had to do like one of them like they like she had to like cough and they like recorded some kind of heightened emg activity in the trigger points 
with the stress. And they were just basically showing it's like, when you stress, there is a sympathetic tone. There's a sympathetic message signal into these muscle fibers, the muscle spindles actually. And that's the tension that you feel. So when you feel your traps tight, when you carry your stress in your shoulder, you feel those muscle spindles, not the muscle itself. The muscle itself is not contracted. It's not under tension because they, there's like a lower EMG activity, but the muscle spindle is. So there is a signal between your brain and that muscle spindle tell, like kind of like communicate as like, it's a tighter spot. And that's basically, that's what they said is that is kind of what trigger points are, but it's like, it's not a, it's a, not a straight up muscle phenomena. It's, it's a brain phenomena. Like mm. there is a signal that goes to that muscle spindle, which is kind of like, for me, it's like, oh, okay. Because we can say, take a step back and say that when you push on a muscle, just by you putting pressure on it, you are, um, if you pushed on like chicken uh, breast before, they kind of like the push on it, they get flatter, right? So they're the muscle fibers itself elongate, which makes the muscle spindles elongate. So that's what we're basically doing with the massage therapy is like you are working that. So then again, you're relaying an info up back to the brain about tension and how much tension this muscle spindle has. And I'm <laughs> like, okay, so squeezing muscle still works at some level. So it's for so me i was like okay i'm gonna stay, stick with massage therapy then yeah, yeah. Like, it cool. was really interesting like seeing that it's so interesting too because it's uh it also shows that it's a two-way street right mm -hmm. like you can your your like your the your your ex your proprioceptive response right like if someone's pressing that gives a signal like if there's pressure that gives a signal to the brain and mm -hmm. And if there's stress in the, if there's stress in the system, it shows up at the, it shows up at the muscle. So yeah. it just show like, and I think that's a wonderful, like tie back to that, like that, that one nervous system model, because it's like, now we've gotten like, you know, you've got a, a mental input that's giving you, that's giving you that that's causing CNS, uh, it's causing ANS activation. Yeah which is showing up as like, which is showing up as like, a, which is, has a physical output, but then you're also using a, you're also using a, um, like you're also using the sense of touch to affect the, like you're using the sense of touch to affect the ANS as well. So it's, mm -hmm. it's like it, all of these things are different inputs. It, it actually makes me think about like, you know, the idea at, and some, I think I probably heard it from Andrew Huberman recently, but it was like, you know, like, he, you know, he's an ophthalmologist, so he cares about eyes. Like, he cares about eyes, so he, he's big on like the only part of your brain that the only part of your brain that sees the world is your eyes. But like, I think that's a great that's a great point though, mm -hmm. because your brain is in the dark. Like your yeah. brain doesn't your brain doesn't get aside from what it's aside from vision, your brain doesn't get firsthand information. Everything's secondhand. Right. Yeah. And so it's like, and it's secondhand, and so it's like you know, it's the and it goes back to what you where we started at the very beginning, where you know, the physical, like the physical pain. And then you have the secondary, you have this, you have the force multiplier of the judgment on the pain. Yes. And that judgment is just as real as the physical pain because your brain doesn't different, your brain doesn't differentiate between a physical, between a touch input, a proprioceptive input and a thought input, because they're all just, they are all just inputs into your midbrain. Yep. Yeah. 
and that's that's what I found is like a super because like and that's when you again like go back into like deeper layers like what you think about that pain comes from like how did you grow up like what other pain experiences you had what is the context now like are you in safety or threat like what is your environment right now like all of those matter and then again like it's like a full circle again um so one thing I guess to like just a couple of um it's like quotes from it that I really really like because it kind of like goes through this whole thing like how like the input nervous system output is one system and we need to deal with everything. And for me, that's what like holistic approach would mean. So that's the other thing too. I was like, yeah, this is like a summit with like psychologists, but where are the body practitioners? Where are the people that treat the body and be in that body? Like we have to embody um, this whole thing and it only works in our body. It doesn't like the but the body is your vehicle for your mind and your soul and and your brain. That's the that's your connection to everything outside of yourself. There's no other way. So I I think like that was the only thing that I little missed. And I was like, I would un like if you call yourself a holistic practitioner, the body does belong to it. And we have this kind of like stigma around body and like, oh, you should be like, you know, the psychology and the mind and emotions like you're in a body for a reason and that body needs to be treated. Um, so I think like that's really, really important. And uh, just one quote from Les Aria that I really, really liked. Uh, he was talking about all of this, like what comes into the input, your, you know, your upbringing, your history, your context, like where are you right now emotionally, mentally, physically, all that and then he said about that is like that's when you're about your history and having trauma and like adverse childhood effects and all of that is like your biography becomes your biology meaning that's your physiology that changes your physiology and then on another um presentation Porges went on from the other side saying your physiology is what drives your psychology that's what drives your behavior so it's kind of like this whole beautiful it's like your biography is the starting point and then that's what becomes your biology your physiology and that drives your psychology and you have to address all of those points so yeah we have to do that work for sure so beautiful summit i have to say it's like the best best I don't know how many hours I've spent in, in front of my computer. So really, really good. That's awesome. Yeah, it was fantastic. Like what I've, what I've been able to, what you've been able to share with me has been absolutely fantastic. And I'm, I, if it comes again, I will not miss it. And we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll include a link into the show notes, into the, uh, to the open center, as well as to a couple yeah. of the other, a couple of the other things that we've, um, we've discussed on here, but man, this was, this was a, a, I am so thankful that you turned me on to this because it was so freaking cool to see. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm glad you could like see it and everything. So, so we can nerd out more. So for sure. <laughs> awesome. So with that, we're going to wrap it up today and we'll come back to you next week with another episode of hands at the table. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you guys.
Thanks for taking the time to listen to this episode of Hands at the Table. If you got something out of this episode, have comments or topics you'd like us to cover, please let us know by tagging us on Instagram. Bori is at restore underscore revive underscore therapy, and Jeff is at just breathe manual therapy. We'd also appreciate if you can take a minute to leave us a rating, like, or review wherever you listen. It'll help other people find us. We'll see you next week.